This episode of the Short Side Option Podcast is brought to you by the Email Boys, your favorite friend collective's favorite friend collective. Sporting purple since the birth room, season ticket holders since three lockets ago, and passing high school geometry by studying Tex Winter's triangle offense. The Email Boys thrive in the clutch and in most social settings. Driven to rep cats and educate the community on what it means to bleed purple, to be excellent, and how to rip jays like Michael Beasley. When the purple gets ready to roll, the email boys are ready to deliver. Mr. Icon, hit the music. Nice to have you with us here on another edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. As it's me, Chris Sork, alongside Delo here. As we break down K-State's 55-14 thumping of the Kansas Jayhawks in last week's Dillon Sunflower Showdown, a game that K-State controlled throughout, never trailed, and uh, really uh, looked impressive doing it against K-State, uh, or against KU, uh, throughout the uh, day on Saturday. d we kind of broke it down. We thought, uh, you know, and I, I will say, K-State didn't get off to the best of starts, uh, really, throughout the first quarter. Pretty sloppy, a lot of penalties. Uh, K-State just not playing their sharpest ball, really, to be honest with you. But the defense was really pretty pretty stifling throughout throughout the day, and the offense was able to get into a groove and, uh, you know, rack up 55 points, which is a high watermark this season. Yeah, I think that, I mean, the game went more or less about like we expected. Obviously, I, I think the story of the day was uh, just how overmatched KU's offense was on Saturday. Uh, you know... Jalen Daniels, God bless him. Um, you know, and I will say one thing: he did. He was a a little bit better than what I. I mean, he was certainly better than what I'd seen anything from KU's quarterbacks up until this point this season. I hadn't seen him play previously, really. But I thought, you know, he was. He had at least. He was more impressive to me to me than what I'd seen with McVitie and uh, the Miles lad, the Miles Kendrick lad. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, he's a freshman quarterback. Who knows how he develops over the next few years? But he's also 17 years old. Yeah. yeah. Which is ridiculous. I I had I had not known that until after the game. Yeah, he's a young he's a young guy. He's a, well, that's why he's a lad. But know, he's nothing but. But what I think we saw on Saturday is that he's pretty mobile and yeah, pretty limited in his passing game. Uh, yeah, and, that'll come with maybe some time, but yeah, and also just KU's offensive line just was a house of horrors on Saturday. Uh, K State got four sacks, uh, pressure on Daniels all day. Also took some shots. Uh, he's gonna have to learn to slide if he wants. Yeah, uh, the best avail, the best of ability, and that's avail- a- yeah, that's availability. That's right. Yeah, absolutely, hundred um, percent. And so you hit the nail on the head. I think what killed. I mean, K-State's offense looked pretty ugly in the first half on Saturday, and I think a lot of that had to do with just getting off schedule, um, especially with penalties. Uh, I think K-State had something like 60, 70 yards of penalties in the first half, which is astounding. But shooting themselves in the foot a lot offensively. and But after halftime, once as you mentioned, uh, they started to settle down a little bit. 
kind of played within themselves a little bit more and stayed ahead of schedule, and that made all the difference in an, a flurry of points in the third quarter. Yeah, and, you know, K-State has had a little bit of problem with some penalties this year and, and getting behind the chains a little bit and with, with, a, with a freshman quarterback, with any quarterback, but especially a freshman quarterback. That's just something you can really ill afford. And, you know, I thought um, I thought Will Howard probably played his best game so far to date. Um, I thought his ability to throw the deep ball really stood out in this one. He had the deep ball uh, to Malik Knowles that Malik wasn't able to hang on to. And then, uh, right, I think it was um, maybe the start of the second half, he had deep one to Shab uh, kind of on a, on, a, on a streak where there was, you know, two Jayhawks on him. And he was able to to draw or to uh, to come in and make the catch there, and you get it down the one yard line, where I believe short side option punched it in here right after that. So that's right. Uh, we, you know, it's things you love to see uh, as far as that goes. But uh, thought this was his best game uh, as a K State Wildcat. What what did you see from him? Yeah, I agree. I, I think that this is the game he looked most comfortable. Easy to do when you're facing a, a defense that flat out just isn't very threatening. Um, KU's linebackers especially looked really bad on Saturday. Uh, obviously, the Gavin Potter stuff has become kind of a meme at this point. But even on some of those, you know, I think it was his first touchdown pass to uh, Sammy Wheeler. Um, who, who? Can I? Can I? Can I please get some comeuppance for that and just say, you know what, you were right on that one. Yeah, you were. Yeah, this right. is a, this is a star that we're watching on. Unfurl right before our eyes. Yeah, um, absolutely. Great job by Sammy on that one. Um, but that's a, a matchup that the K-State coach has obviously liked, especially down in the red zone, because tried that earlier in the game uh, to a different tight end. Didn't mm-hmm. work out quite, quite as, as well. well. Not quite as well. Yeah. Sammy uh, was able to keep his feet a little bit better. Yeah, but all in all, no, I totally agree. That, that pass to Sebastian Taylor was... Beautiful. I mean, right on the money. Right over the shoulder uh, spot that only Chad could catch it. And overall, he, he was making the throws he needed to make. And like we said, playing it. He's been, you know, we. you commented earlier on, um, I believe it was after the Tech game, or uh, the TCU game rather, that throw to Deuce where he was under pressure and yeah. Threw it, and it was kind of a YOLO type of throw. Not, not necessarily. He had another one in that game, and I can't remember the exact circum or the exact circumstance that took place. But it, that one was a real YOLO one. The the one I'm thinking thinking about that took place later in the game. But the one to Deuce Vaughn on that little. Uh, I mean, it looked like they were kind of trying to slot him up the seam a little bit, and you know, gosh, off his back foot, Deuce wasn't looking at him. I mean, it was an anticipation throw, and. You see a little bit of that anticipation, a little bit of that touch, you know, since then as well. Well, and what I was just getting at is I think, especially against KU, he there wasn't as much YOLO type of stuff going on. I mean, I think mm-hmm. he's, he's, he's doing a good job of making priority number one not to screw up. Mm-hmm. And as he develops and gets more comfortable back there, I think he might... Uh, be in a position where he's willing to take more chances. But on Saturday, he, he played a pretty safe game and, and put the ball where it needed to go. And But really, on the other hand, didn't face a ton of pressure all day. I've posted this on, on KSO, and I, I think I may have mentioned this to you. You know who my comparison for him is? Who? Mason Rudolph. Yeah. Because I remember when Mason Rudolph came in as a freshman for Oklahoma State, they burned his red shirt, mind you, 
I think, with like four or five games left in the season. And Oklahoma State was not good. They were not a good football team this year, which is a rarity under Mike Gundy. Uh, they had been, you know, a conference title contender. And, and you know, they were, they were having a rebuild season. And they, uh, with Mason Rudolph, uh, were able to kind of catch fire down the stretch. And they upset Oklahoma. I believe it was 2014. Go figure. And uh, they upset Oklahoma with none other than, I believe, almost a walk-off punt return for a touchdown by Tyreek Hill. Wow. And uh, But Mason Rudolph kind of took the job from there, of course, and the rest is history. But he kind of has that same type of build. Big, tall guy, you know, can stand in the pocket, can move a little bit, as we've seen on the ground. But that's a comparison that I want to share with our listeners now. Yeah, it's a, it's a good job by you. I, I can definitely see that. But in terms of Will Howard's performance so far on Saturday in particular, I think he's done a good job. Um, I don't think he's come in and set the world no, on fire sure. by any stretch. Uh, but I no complaints from me. Uh, he, he was put into a very tough situation this year. Sure. where And it's kind of become a trial by fire. But so far, I think he's passed the test. Well, and you know the other thing, too, is this game we mentioned coming off a of bye week, going into the KU game, um, you, you wanted to kind of see – what you saw from him in terms of being able to look like he was in command of the offense, you know, being smart, being crisp with the ball. And, you know, I think we really saw that for, for the most part on Saturday. So a uh, good job by Will Howard, good job by the coaching staff getting him ready for, for the game. Yeah. Um, well, while we're still on the KU game, we got to talk about Phillip Brooks. Uh, oh, yeah, that's, that's the lead story. We kind of buried the lead here with, with his outstanding performance. Yeah. Uh, what was it, four Punt returns for over forty yards each. Um, I'm looking here at the at his uh, at his line here. Golly, four returns, 189 yards, two touchdowns. Yeah, that's that's a pretty good line. Um, 189 yards. I'll be in, anxious to see once the season wraps up how many teams have 189 yards of, of punt returns. Well, because yeah. I, I saw you saw the stat. I'm sure too that up until this point of the season. He, in, in the game against KU, his 189 yards of punt returns are more than any team has had to date. Yeah. Which well, is if you think about it, I mean, it's so... Back in the DOD, punt returns were the big thing. I mean... Well, yeah, absolutely. But you just... I, I feel like... I don't know whether the game has changed a little bit. Punters have gotten better. Uh, you think so? I think, I think that has to be it. But you hardly... I mean, it's a rarity anymore to even see, like... Maybe not that much of a rarity, but you hardly see guys actually returning punts that often anymore. At least it seems to me. Usually it just seems like every punt is a fair catch or it's he's just gobbled up basically. Yeah, and I, I think it's due to punters getting a little bit better, hanging the ball up there a little bit better uh, than they used to but, uh, back you know, 10, 20 years ago. But that, you know, if there's going to – if at the end of the Les Miles story – that it that they fire oh. him a year or two or three from now, and it just doesn't work out. That decision to punt with what eight seconds left on the clock to to Philip Brooks is is going to go down as one of the you know seminal moments of his failed tenure. That was a uh, that was something that you could almost just see coming, right? Oh, gosh. But the thing is, is you know that on that play. I forget whether they had like a false start or something um, right before that uh, final punt of the half. 
because I remember they got the, they got a punt off initially, but it didn't count, and it went. Uh, he punted it to the middle of the field, and I was thinking. Well, they called a timeout right before. Okay, it was a timeout. Yeah, they called a timeout right before. Okay, you called a timeout? Yeah, with eight seconds left. And so, that feels like it's being overlooked. You call a timeout, you talk to the punter. And then you they talk to the punt team. And then they false start. And then they false start. According to the game log, and that's how I kind of recall it taking place. Okay, well, disregardlessly, a, a, a punt got off that didn't count, and he punted it to the middle of the field. And I was thinking... That's a mistake. Like, what do you... Why are the, you that, even that's bothering? That's the only chance K-State has a scoring. Yeah. You know, with eight if, seconds. If they, punt it out at the, if they punt it out of bounds to the 40-yard line... It's going to be a Hail Mary. May, maybe yeah. one quick pass and maybe a long field goal. Maybe give Blake Lynch a shot at a 57-yard or something. Who knows? But it is malpractice to punt that ball. And it's even compounded by the fact that he did that... He punted it just before on a play that ultimately didn't count. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, less well, tries to pin it on the punter. Yeah, and say, and well, that's I, what tried I, to tell, I tried to tell him to go out of bounds. But, man, he kicked it. He kicked two punts in the same spot, basically. Yeah, and it was to the middle of the field on, on both occasions, like you had mentioned. Uh, I know KU was down to, like, maybe their second or third string punter, which, you know, maybe can explain some of it, but... I have a, I'm a little having a tough time buying that. Put it to the sideline. I mean, take a safety. <laughs> take a, do something. He'd already had a punt return touchdown, returned another punt 40 yards, and that you're going to kick it to him on the last play of the half is insanity. It was. I, I, it, it's one of the most shocking things I've ever seen in college football. And well, that, that's right up there with putting no punter back there against OU. I don't know if I'd go that far, but it was it was certainly a, a head scratching moment for sure, and it'll be interesting to see kind of you know what takes place here on uh, at K at for KU as they they make their way through the rest of the season, but you know I'm looking here at what K State did defensively. You know KU was an offense that you know really I, I thought this was a a really great matchup for K State. With what I feel like is the strength of their their defense, their defensive line going up against one of the worst offensive lines in the Big Twelve, K State was was you know given Jalen Daniels uh, pressure throughout the day, and you know guys like Wyatt Hubert made Wyatt Hubert, Khalid Duke, Boom Massey, and, and several others, and even Felix. Yeah, uh, Felix Anaduke gets in there and makes his presence felt too. When I look at the performance by the defensive line, this is you know about what I expected going into the game. Yeah, I mean, I don't put too much stock into into this game. I mean, this the performance by K State's defense doesn't move the needle all that much uh, for me, just because KU's offense is so bad. I don't know if KU's offense is going to score, you know, uh, more than twenty points the rest of the year. In fact, the only game they've twenty scored, points the rest of the year. Uh, against in a game. Oh, oh, okay. I, I I thought you were going for the whole the the offer for the or well not the offer but the twenty points for the the next you know what is it five games that they have on their schedule. So far they've they've had one game where they eclipsed twenty points and that was against uh, Coastal Carolina. The chance. The chance. Who might be the greatest team in, ever in, in the group in the, in the group of six or group of five or whatever it is. Yeah, they you know they're pretty good little team, but they're a nice team. But anyway, so. We'll we'll see. 
I mean, K-State's going to have a tougher test this week, although not that much of a tougher test, but we'll get to that in a little bit. But, um, so yeah, I, I think the K-State defense played well, but it was an unsurprising result for him. Wanted to kind of touch base on another guy that I I can't get enough of. I know who you're going to say. Justin Gardner. Yeah. Made, made, a, made a nice little read there on what was a design throwback screen pass. Jumped, the, jumped it perfectly. Um I don't know if Daniels never saw him coming or or what the case was. Yeah, that's was. a yellow throw. That was a yeah, that was something. Uh, but he he picks it off, walks in for a touchdown. Yeah. But right place, right time, being able to diagnose it correctly, and you know, adding to uh, his his impressive streak of play here for K State as he makes his way through the season. Yeah, he's been really the best surprise for me this year. I mean, mm-hmm. he and Khalid Duke, I think, uh, are the two names that really stick out. To me, as far as guys that have exceeded expectations, you know who also thrown there? Ross Elder. He's done a he's done an okay job back there too. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I, I hold, to, totally agree with you. I think Justin Gardner has been uh, excellent for K State this year, and really ha- is having one of the best cornerback campaigns that I can remember. You uh, know, the guy had. I was about to say the same thing. I don't know if I've been as impressed. I know DJ Reed is a guy that comes to mind, but in terms of what you know, DJ Reed did in his his first season in purple, and what Justin Garner's done, they've been instant impact players for K State. Where, you know, when we talked about K State at the beginning of the season, Justin Garner was the name we mentioned really no. uh, at all in terms of a guy that we you know we thought. Well, he wasn't starting. No, exactly. And Lance Robinson, we, we expected to be in the mix. Uh, of course, A.J. Parker, who I want to touch base on him a little bit, left the game with an ankle injury against KU. His availability is a little bit unknown here as we go forward here against West Virginia's day-to-day, uh, according to, to Chris Kleiman, which would be a big loss, of course, if he's not able to go. But with what you've seen with this K-State secondary you have to feel like next man up, you have to feel somewhat confident with, with what K-State's been able to do so far to date with that kind of philosophy. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of that has to do with Kleiman being... A defensive back guy. And, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And so the work that's been done on K-State's secondary over the last... during his tenure has been extremely impressive because coming into this year, it was... The K-State secondary was a little bit of a question mark. Sure, um, sure. You know, you had A.J. Parker. You had A.J. Parker. You had Jerome yeah. McPherson, who, who two guys that you really trust. But otherwise, you're looking at, okay, Lance Robinson. Uh, we don't really know who's going to be playing the free safety spot. Um, but And then you have the injuries to the starting cornerbacks. Then you, guys have, then you have guys like uh, Justin Gardner step up and – Ika Boido step up, and even Ross Elder, who's come in and, as I mentioned earlier, done a pretty steady job back there. Uh, and so all of a sudden, this secondary is really, I think, to this point in the year, the bright spot for the K-State defense. Um, and, you know, for a unit that we were a little bit suspicious of outside of really A.J. Parker and John McPherson coming into the year, they have uh, totally exceeded expectations and become – really the strength and focal point of this defensive uh, team. You know, and another thing I want to mention, too, here as I'm, I'm kind of getting this pulled together uh, on the fly, is K-State got a lot of guys in action on on uh, Saturday. Now, granted, a lot of that has to do with, 
you know, having such a comfortable lead and being able to play, uh, you know, some backups and getting them into the mix. But really, when you look at it, I'm, I've got it pulled up here now. And um, when I look at it, K-State had 33 guys that recorded either a tackle or uh, some sort of defensive stat. Wow. Which is got to be darn near about everybody that plays defense uh, anywhere on the two and three deep. Um, Which, as you go on, and especially this year more than any other, with with COVID being you know something that can take what is a a non-injured player, you don't have to just worry about injuries. You have to worry about uh, you know positive tests for for uh, K State and uh, you know any team, of course. But having that depth and being able to get some guys some live action is going to be paramount importance, uh, you know, throughout the rest of the season. So. This was a great game to be able to do that as K-State enters a, a really a crucial stretch here as we enter the, the second half of the Big 12 season. Absolutely. So a, a good time to have kind of a tune-up game, get some young guys in. Uh, do you want to touch on A.J. Parker real quick and, and what that means moving forward? Well, so A.J. Parker, of course, K-State's most seasoned defensive back coming in the season and, and still probably our best defensive back, although you might be able to twist my arm saying Justin Gardner's the better player, but but two outstanding players in the secondary for K State. AJ Parker's moved inside now to the nickel, which allows him to you know cover, oftentimes slot receiver and oftentimes maybe you know line up with maybe the tight end or a running back coming out of the backfield. Really, just uh, and also help out with run support. Run support using him in blitzes as well. It's a big loss for K State if he's not able to to get back out on the field, but. The one thing that I did draw as a positive is that uh, his injury does not appear to be something that's going to keep him out for a long period of time. It might be a one-week type thing uh, to where they would be able to, you know, not maybe be able to have him for West Virginia, but you'd, you'd like to think that they'd be able to have him back uh, for Oklahoma State maybe in the rest of the, uh, in the, rest of the season. But, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see what his availability is because if, if he's not available, you would have to be – You'd have to, you know, be wondering who is going to step up and, and who is going to take that role uh, for K-State at the nickel. Absolutely, and so we'll keep an eye on that moving forward. It looks like uh, it's going to be Jones. Um, if A.J. Parker can't get it done, yeah. um, he will step up and play that nickel spot. And also, just before we move on, I've got to give a hat tip to Klanderman. Uh, yeah. Coming in his his first year, taking over the D, D coordinator role at K-State. Uh, another note? Scotty Hazelton. I don't know if uh, any of you were tuning in uh, to the Michigan State Rutgers game on. And Saturday. I hope you were. I and hope all of you were. I don't know what you would, what you, what could be more important than that. But Scotty Hazelton uh, gives up 38 points in a loss to the Scarlet Knight. But and Greg Schiano's inaugural game is their head coach. Again. Second stint. Yeah. yeah, the big win for the State University of New Jersey uh, for for them to go on the road and. Break a. I don't know the number in front of me, but a very long Big Ten uh, streak of of not having won a Big Ten game. So credit to the Scarlet Knights for getting on the board. The Rutgers Star- Scarlet Knight defense played a big role in this game too, and in special teams. I know uh, I believe Michigan State had seven turnovers. Wow. So uh, being I think plus six maybe for the. Uh, 
for the uh, or plus four, excuse me. So Rutgers turned the ball over three times. Michigan State uh, seven. Being plus four in the turnover battle uh, certainly helps. But uh, Rutgers nice thirty-eight points on two hundred and seventy-six total yards. That's how you draw it up? That's a that's an efficient uh, yards per point stat for the absolutely. Year. State University of New Jersey. Well, that, I think, covers the Big Ten portion of this podcast, doesn't it? Yeah, we're going to wrap that up. A Big Ten East portion. We, we hit on the Big Ten West last week, you know, with uh, with Lucas Inove's question. But uh, I think that kind of covers it here for this game. Is there anything else you want to add uh, in terms of the K-State game uh, in kind of wrapping this one up before we move on to West Virginia preview? No, I think that about covers it. Um, just, I think KU's is bad. I, we said it before. I said it before this year. Nobody else had the guts to say You were the only one saying it. But this is the worst KU team ever. They've had some bad ones here yeah, in the I, last I know that. five, ten years. This, the, all those other teams would beat this team by at least a touchdown. Even the 0 for 0 and 12 teams? Yes. Yeah. I'll defer to, uh, 100%. I'll, I'll defer to you on that. But uh, an impressive game for K-State, taking care of business, You know, never really leaving it in doubt at all. Uh, for, Got off to a little bit of a slow start, as we mentioned, but uh, made their way and, and, and capped off a convincing 55-14 win over KU. K-State remains undefeated in conference play as they enter a big game against West Virginia on the road in Morgantown. So let's go ahead and transition right into that. Let's hop right into it. West Virginia coming off a loss last week uh, down the plains uh, of uh, West Texas to uh, the Red Raiders. A game that was competitive throughout, uh, the big play coming uh, with, a, with a fumble that uh, Texas Tech was able to return and get, get some points off of. Nice win for Matt Wells. Needed win for him. Yeah. A needed win for him. That, they'd been on the cusp of a few games all season. And, they, and they, they've been in every game. I mean, they could have easily beat K-State. They should have beat Texas. Um, they, they welcome Oklahoma this week, so it's not going to get any easier for the Red Raiders, but... Uh, a much-needed win for for, uh, for Texas Tech as they, they get going here now a little bit. But let's talk about West Virginia. Uh, Jarrett Deggy, quarterback. Now, K-State fans will maybe remember him from last year in a game that K-State lost to uh, the Mountaineers at home. That was Deggy's first start as a Mountaineer. And when you look at what they did in that game, if you remember it well, you remember it well, you remember it poorly if you're a K-State fan because... It was just mistake after mistake, blown coverage here and there that uh, really sunk K-State that day. Now, K-State's had a little bit of trouble with the Mountaineers over the last couple of years. Um, having not won uh, against the Mountaineers since, uh, I believe, 2015, or 20, yeah, 2015. Having lost in 2016, uh, 2017, 2018, 2019. Yeah, four in a row. So... This is a chance for K-State to kind of get on the right side of things here against a team that's given them some trouble over the last couple of years. And when you look at it, this is a matchup I think that K-State can handle. I don't think there's any question about it. But when I look at what this matchup presents to K-State uh, offensively, let's look at uh, when the Wildcats have the ball here. West Virginia's kind of – their strength of their defense is their front four. And in particular, uh, the Sills brothers. Them Sills boys. They are, they're load. And they were, they were load last year for K-State, and they were load uh, for a lot of teams last year. And that's going to be more the same this year as, as K-State 
inconsistent up front uh, with their offensive line here kind of in the early part of the season. It's going to be probably their biggest test in terms of a talented defensive line to date. And you mix in a true freshman quarterback uh, going on the road here. There's, there's, there's some serious kind of concerns there. How do you see that playing out? Yeah, I think points are going to be hard to come by on Saturday. Um, you know, it's this offensive line has had half a season now to kind of start gelling, and I think they have. I, I, I think the offensive line has improved over the course of the season, especially, you know, we saw the issues they had even against Arkansas State in week one where it really struggled. Thompson getting pressured all day long and couldn't really open up anything in the run game. Uh, but over the course of the year, and I think some of this has to do with the mess, uh, having a better understanding of the ways to kind of minimize uh, that initial weakness uh, just via some of the play calling, but also the offensive line just flat out getting better over the course of the year. And I think really starting in the second half of the Oklahoma game is where the offensive line really started coming into its own a little bit and started to become, you know, make. I don't want to. I don't want to say that this offensive line is has become some powerhouse or anything, but I think it started to move more towards average. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree with that. And which, you know what, we'll take. Um, sure. And so, but as you mentioned, this this game against West Virginia is going to be extremely an extremely tough test for the offensive line, especially given them uh, Sills boys. Excuse me. But, um, and you know, one thing too I want to mention, going into the season, I thought this was really probably the swing game on the schedule. Going on the yeah. road, I mean, this was even before COVID, all that stuff. When I looked at the schedule, you know, back kind of, you know, once it got announced and kind of how, how things were going to look here for K-State, you know, going on the road to West Virginia is always kind of a tough trip for, for a lot of teams just due to the travel. And, you know, it's usually a pretty, pretty good home field advantage for the Mountaineers. But, you know, two equal, I feel like K-State was the better team last year and wasn't able to come away. And I feel like K-State's the better team this year in a lot of respects, um, especially, you know, coming into the season. But, you know, it, th- this is a matchup in terms of what that defensive line can do and be disruptive that, that gives you some concern. Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, there's some rumblings that Deuce might be banged up. And the, off- the offense coming into this week is just a little concerning. Uh, I think... Um, I think it's going to be tough. And I, I, you know, whether it takes another special team score or some big special teams play, whether it's block field or whatever, uh, you just have to think that that third unit's going to have to do something again to kind of shore up some of the deficiencies that the yeah, offense has. Yeah, and whether if it's putting points directly on the board or setting up an offense with, you know, a short field to be able to get points. I mean, that's so where K-State has been. I mean, they've been so good for a number of seasons, but they've been tremendous so far this season. And huge credit to Stanton Weber uh, as as the leader of that, uh, as the leader of that coordinating that special teams, has done a great job of you know K State. They didn't get a punt or a kick blocked this this last week. Yeah, they got two touchdowns. So on the what they teams. what they what they lose for maybe a, a a block they they make up maybe double with uh with the the punt returns. But you know you have to look at what. West Virginia does offensively. Now, I don't want to get off of what K-State is, and I'm going to focus here on K-State here for, for one more point here. I think the big factor that you have to look at is K-State on the ground. If K-State can get some semblance of a running game going, I think that bodes really well. So far this season, in games that West Virginia 
has allowed 100 yards rushing, they're 0-2. In games that they've held uh, the, their opponent under 100 yards rushing, 3-0. So that's something to keep an eye on. What can K-State do to, and I'm asking you now, what can K-State do to get uh, to get the run game going against the Mountaineers and give give this offense some balance? Well, I think a lot of the problems K-State's had this year uh, at getting the run game going has been because defenses are cheating up in the box. Mm-hmm. I mean, with the ex- with the exception, or at least that's the case since Skylar Thompson's been out of the game. Um, and so I think defenses are cheating a little bit and, and stacking the box and just really pinning their ears back. And that's why you see K-State running so many passes out of play action. I mean, if you go back and watch that third quarter especially, you see K-State utilizing play action on nearly every pass they throw. And I think that makes a huge difference. And credit to Courtney Messingham. He's he's putting together some pretty complex and interesting wide receiver route combinations, uh, especially with the tight ends and the running back, mm-hmm. that are creating real problems for some of these defenses. Um, and so... Really, I think it's it's going to be more of the same on Saturday. I think ultimately K-State this year is going to have to pass to open up the run. And so if Will Howard can be back there and providing a threat, which is going to be difficult given the pass rush we expect to see from West, Virgi- from West Virginia. But if, if K-State makes West Virginia truly honor the pass, then I think that it w- there will be a run game uh, to be had and West Virginia won't be able to stack six, seven guys in the box. Yeah, and you know, I think what K State might have a little success with is running away from the Sills Boys and uh, getting out to the edge. Whether if it's and it might not even be with necessarily running the ball, but getting guys uh, out on wide receiver screens, out throwing little bubbles out to the side. You know who I'm counting on against maybe all hope to have to have a breakout performance. Are you going to say uh Malik Knowles? Number 4 Malik yeah. Knowles. I think that he the K-State went to him a couple times and he he hasn't had the season that we we've all been hoping for and expecting out of him. But they're still going to him. You get the Keeping sense it, that he's just going to get it together here at some point this year. You you think so, right? You think so. And you hope that cuz K-State's going to need that production eventually. You know, this isn't a dynamic enough offense to to have one of your, you know, what is one of your better playmakers in terms of what he's done so far in his career to to be absent throughout the entire season. Yeah, I mean, if who would have thought DJ Render and Javaston Taylor were going to be the headliners of wide receiver this year? No, not me. I mean, credit to both of those guys. I mean, DJ Render switches positions back to his original position at wide receiver um, unexpectedly, but credit to him because he's. Got the job done. Mm-hmm. I, I think he's he's more limited than Malik Knowles in terms of ceiling, but he's reeled into catches, and Malik hasn't so far. But I agree with you. I think utilizing the screen game, and we saw it a little bit against KU uh, a couple times, in particular that third down in the first half, mm-hmm. uh, that third forever back near K-State's own goal line. Uh, K-State runs the little screen pass to Deuce out on the far side of the field. But if you go back and look at that play, it was actually a double screen pass. Mm-hmm. On the other side yep, of the field, absolutely. there was an inside screen coming that way Yep, that also looked pretty open too. Um, and so I think if we can utilize that and even utilize draws uh, a little bit mm-hmm. more, and not just quarterback draws, but drop back, give it to Deuce, and wait for the defense, wait for the pass rush to over-pursue and let them go. But I think that 
it's going to be those sorts of misdirection type plays uh, to punish maybe this really aggressive pass rush that West Virginia is going to bring that could uh, keep them more honest and open up things for more traditional runs. Well, it'll certainly be something we keep our eye on. Let's let's kind of transition now here to what uh, K State, how they match up with this West Virginia offense when when K State's on defense. You know, Jared Daigie, I, I saw a uh, an article from PFF. Uh, pro football focus, breaking down the top Big 12 quarterbacks so far year to date. And Spencer Rattler led the list as the as their top quarterback. And then Jared Daigie second. And, you know, he he had a nice little game against, um, against uh, Texas Tech. But in my watching of him is, is if you give him some pressure and, and you don't give him a clean pocket, He'll, he'll make some mistakes. He'll, he'll airmail some passes. And, you know, West Virginia has had some issues with drops so far, too, from their wide receivers. So that'll be something to keep an eye on. But when he is in rhythm, he can be a dangerous passer. And that's something that K-State's going to have to, uh, you know, go up against. Yeah, I think, you know, I think Deggie's an okay quarterback. I uh, Him being ranked highly by PFF among Big 12 quarterbacks, I think, says more about current state of the, the quarterbacks 12, yeah. in the Big 12. I mean, there, there are a handful I'd take over him, for sure. Yeah, I mean, but that list also had Max Duggan pretty high, too, and mm-hmm. which I is beyond me. But uh, Deggie's, a, I think, a serviceable player back there. Uh, like you mentioned, the problems for West Virginia's offense this year has really been their wide receivers, who just haven't been reeling them in. And for an offense, you know, the Neil Brown uh, air raid-type offense – West Virginia threw 50 passes against Texas Tech, uh, completed 32 of them, still racked up 350 yards of passing. But, uh, you know, there's been a lot of missed opportunities that West Virginia's had where you just look at the wide receivers and scratch your head at, how are you not bringing that in? And, and the, the passes haven't always been perfect. As I mentioned, Day's a fine quarterback, but he's not the second coming of, you know, Steve McNair out there, yeah. like everybody no, says. No, absolutely. Like, like a lot of people are saying, yeah. Yeah, but uh, so story of West Virginia's passing game this year has really been the disappointing play of their wide receivers. Well, um, let's kind of get into what I think is really the key matchup for K-State uh, I agree. Their defensive line against West Virginia's offensive line. I think K-State, as we've mentioned, their defensive line is the strength of this defense so far, at least in my view. Um, I disagree, but go on. You disagree. I think it's you the think secondary. It's secondary. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's a good thing to have against a team that's going to throw the ball. So it's a matchup I think K-State can handle pretty pretty well. Um, but guys like Wyatt Hubert, Boone Massey, Khalid Duke, Drew Wiley in the middle, getting some pressure, uh, is something that I'm going to keep an eye on here as we, uh, as we see how this game breaks down. I think K-State's going to have some success at, at getting after Daigie. Yeah, I, I, think, I think they can too. Um, I think it's a little harder. I, I think, you know, I, I think Daigie does a lot of three-step drops and, and sort of design passes like that, so it's a little harder to uh, get a lot of heat on him under those circumstances. But, you know, I, the matchup I'm more interested in watching is how K-State defends the run game. Oh, no question. I, because I, I think from an offensive line versus defensive line perspective, I, th- I think that'll be more interesting um, only and- because... West Virginia, you know, we, we a lot of the spotlights on Davey, but I think Letty Brown is probably the Absolutely. sharpest weapon in their backfield. No question, and they uh, they'll they'll run him, they'll throw him the ball in the backfield. He's a multi-dimensional guy, 
And, you know, one thing that I keep a, keep an eye on, too, uh, for K-State uh, is the linebackers. We've talked about, um, you know, their play. I, I feel with – you're not going to have to worry about much with Daigie running the ball. He, he can move a little bit. He's not a statue back there by any stretch. But he's not really going to be much of a threat on the ground as, like, let's say, like a Max Duggan uh, that they've gone up against so far. Mm-hmm. Um, Jalen Daniels a little bit more fleet of foot. But still a capable runner. But really, K-State's going to have to do a great job with what we've kind of talked about with their linebackers really coming up and, and fitting the run well. And that's something I want to keep an eye on, too, uh, on Saturday. Yeah, Justin Hughes better uh, bring his working boots because it's uh, it's going to be a tougher test this week against uh, a West Virginia offense that really looks to pick on linebackers like a lot of mm-hmm. these RPO offenses uh, do. And you know, going up against Letty Brown is, is no small task. Well, is there any other matchup or any any other players that you kind of want to spotlight here before we make our predictions on this game? No, uh, other than I think uh, it'll be interesting to see. I think AJ Parker is going to be sorely missed this week if he if he can't go, only because I think having him in that run support um, would be very helpful this week as kind of that third linebacker in this nickel set. Um, and so it's something to keep an eye on if uh, if AJ Parker is good enough to go. Well. Let's go ahead and get to a prediction here. Mountaineers, Wildcats, 11 o'clock, ESPN2. Big game. K-State's trying to you know, stay at, at the perch of the Big 12 here uh, as they have been here for, for the first four weeks of the season. D'Lu, how do you see it shaking out? I'm not betting against K-State anymore. <laughs> I, you've learned your lesson. I've learned my lesson, I, too. I, I'm not going to do it. I I. I've been really impressed with this team so far. And, you know, at some point, these fluky-type special teams plays start looking a lot less fluky. And, and oh, Maybe absolutely. there actually is a huge schematic advantage uh, that K-State has. And so far, it's been good enough for roughly, I mean, over a touchdown a game, uh, mm-hmm. just about. And so uh, I'm done. I'm done, you know, discounting that because I think at this point it's a real thing that we all have to acknowledge. Um, I think K-State comes up with another big special teams play on Saturday. Uh, and I think K-State's defense gets the job done. Um, I, I think that uh, if Daigie's looking to have a big day of passing against this K-State defense, he's barking up the wrong tree only because... Well, and I think that that's maybe kind of where we want this game to be. I agree. Is, is relying on Daigie's arm and, and uh, having him make decisions and throwing the ball downfield. Because I think, like I said, I think we're going to get pressure on him throughout the game with our defensive line. That's really been something that we've kind of been able to, to count on going in into each game is that with four guys, we're going to be able to get pressure. And then when we bring five and maybe six... Uh, K-State's found a way to get home and, and, and give pressure to, to that opposition uh, quarterback. So I, uh, I I agree with you. I think that this is uh, a game that, that, that bodes well for K-State. I don't think I got a, a score No, you it. didn't. But here's the thing. I, I Speaking to the pass, I think it's, it's going to be a question of, is Neil Brown going to be comfortable enough to sit back and commit to the run game? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Letty Brown, uh, well, West Virginia ran 29 times on Saturday against Texas Tech and threw for 50. And that's a pretty disproportionate split there. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if if Neil Brown has it in him philosophically to run the ball 35, 40 times uh, to get the job done. I think it's just his he's prone to kind of doing the Mike Leach thing and sitting back there and throwing it 
no matter what. Regardless, I think K-State's defense is up for the task. Uh, I think K-State's offense does enough to win. Uh, it might only need to score two or three touchdowns on the day to get it done uh, if the special teams unit gets it done again. Uh, I see this game coming out somewhere in the neighborhood of 27-21. Okay. I, we see this game similarly. I see a little bit lower scoring by a touch, but I've got K-State winning 24-20. to 20. Uh, going on the road and keeping their undefeated uh, Big 12 season, uh, moving it to 5-0 and and setting up a big matchup next weekend with Oklahoma State. I, I think for the same reasons that, uh, that you see, I think this is a matchup that K-State uh, is well-equipped to handle. Uh, secondary has been strong. Defensive line, I think, is going to make t- uh, life tough for Daggy back there. And this offensive line for West Virginia hasn't really uh, blown me away as someone that's going to be able to stand up to this K-State defensive line. I think the big guy that's going to come through my X factor for this game is Malik Knowles. Can he get something going? And you know what? One thing I'd like to see him do, I'd like to see him back there returning kicks. Kickoffs? Yeah. I was going to say, I don't. Uh, not Philip Brooks. He, he's, he's got himself <coughs> a punt return job locked up, baby. Yeah. You just think back again. Josh Youngblood leaving the team. Didn't miss a beat. No, no, we really haven't. And. You know, that, that's credit to uh, special teams, credit to having just guys that are able to fill into that role, too. I mean, of course. And again, Stan Weber. Yeah, absolutely doing a great job of, of scheming those returns because you know one thing. You know who got exposed this year? Who? Sean Snyder. I think so. Yeah. Huh? I mean, Casey, if anything, since the legend uh, got fired, special teams has become better. It's the special teams has been really good. It's either as good or better, and I this is the best season so far K State's ever had on special teams, and I don't know if that can really be denied. But no, no but Sean question. Snyder exposed. Well, the one thing too that I'll mention too about K State as as we we kind of wrap this one up here for the West Virginia preview here, I think there's something to be said too about K State's had has been in some tight games all season with. Yeah, you know the Arkansas State game doesn't go K State's way, but winning against TCU, Oklahoma, Oklahoma, Texas Tech, they've had some uh, ability to kind of you know th- I I know Kleiman says that when you when you don't allow yourself to think that you're going to be beat, you can become very tough to beat, and uh, I think K State has had that mentality, and I think that bodes well for him here on the road in, in what's going to be. You know, I think an even, evenly matched uh, opposition, uh, evenly matched opponent, but I think K-State just finds ways to get it done. This season has kind of a 2011 feel to it. So a little far. bit, a little bit. I, I might I, even have another big showdown against Oklahoma State. Absolutely. Well, we can all hope for that, and we'll, we'll be here next week to break that one down. But uh, we're both picking K-State in a somewhat low-scoring uh, game. I know the, uh, the spread's about four or three-and-a-half points, and, and we kind of see it right around there. Uh, we see... That K State comes out on top of West Virginia, a, a, a slight favorite over the Wildcats, but it's a matchup we like for for K State, and it's a matchup we're taking the Wildcats in. That's right. So, well, that'll do it here for the West Virginia preview and KU review portion of the Short Side Option podcast. We'll be back after a short break to break down another in the long line of Wildcat legends and answer listener questions in the Ask the Icon segment. Join us after the break. All right, we're back here on the Short Side Option podcast where we're getting into now some of our final segments on the show, the first of which is called This Week's Wildcat Legend. And like on this week's Wildcat Legend, our listeners may remember 
One play in particular. This play came in Boulder, Colorado. Okay. All right. Does that give you any hints? It gives me some. <laughs> um, I, I, have, I have a tip that I'm working off of now. Going back, I'm filing through the memory bank. Okay. And I'll tell you this. It came when Dan Hawkins was the head man for the Buffaloes. The Hawk. The Hawk, yeah. I always liked Dan Hawk. I did too. He was not a very good I remember coach he had a, <laughs> This was way back when I was in high school, but he wrote a blog for, like he had a blog. Remember blogs? Yeah, I, I love blogs, man. Yeah, me too. Uh, he had a, uh, a blog that he would write for when he was head coach of Colorado called Blogging On with the Hawk. And uh, wow, I do remember. He would that. give yeah. some like some life tips. music recommendations yeah. and life tips, and talk about his family stuff. It was fascinating stuff. But on this play, the hawk was very upset because this wildcat legend absolutely obliterated a Colorado Buffalo punt returner. Well, hawk doesn't want his hawk doesn't want his guys getting hurt out there. Yeah, you know, you can't actually hear him, but you can absolutely read his lips uh, when he said, "Oh my God." He's out. He's out. He's out. Who was the he he was referring to? You know, I think it might be a Trail Snipes. Uh, you know what? You're very good, Icon. Well, it was a Trail you know, Snipes. I get lucky every now and then. And Trail Snipes, of course, is this week's Wildcat legend, hailing from Bakersfield, California, and also spent a bit of time out in uh, the Seattle, Washington oh, area. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, uh, Trill Snipes, fascinating story and a, and a great wide receiver. Um, you know, his mom, when he was young, was diagnosed with diabetes. Uh, when that happened, she and the rest of the family, she and the rest of the family moved back to California. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. And Snipes decided to stay in Seattle okay. by himself. He's fifteen. Wow, incredible. Uh, but eventually, he's recruited by Kansas State. Uh, Dave Brock. Was actually oh, his. I remember uh, him. Yeah, uh, he chose to come to Kansas State over a slew of other offers. Uh, Trill Snipes, kind of ballyhooed actually. Uh, had offers from uh, notable offers from Hawaii, Kentucky, Texas Christian, uh, and Washington State. Washington State, yeah, as as well as a few other schools. Uh, eventually, showed up to Kansas State. He was uh, he showed up as a junior. Mm-hmm. And he was going to redshirt that year. Uh, this was uh, when K State was, of course, uh, led by Ron Prince back in two thousand eight. He uh, he redshirted through six games, and then in that famous two thousand eight Texas A and M game, the game of Logan Dolt. Logan Dolt. Uh, he burned his redshirt. Ron Prince decided to burn his redshirt that mm-hmm. game. Uh, that was like a the. Fourth or fifth game of the season, too, mind Yeah. You. No, it was an early season game. Yeah. Um, well, not that early season. Kind of a little bit later into the season. Okay. Too late to be burning a red shirt for this play. Uh, burned his red shirt to become a gunner on one play in the punt team. Okay. Um, well, you know, bold and daring. Yeah. He ended up getting uh, time on the field seven games in 2008, his junior season. Uh, had one reception for 37 yards, which, you know, Pretty good. Yeah, for absolutely. Your, for your first year. Uh, that reception, of course, came against uh, Colorado. Back. He was all over the place that day in Boulder, Colorado, <laughs> wasn't he? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Rather, it came against uh, Iowa State, uh, the reception did. Oh, but he had, uh, a, he had a long run, run 
against. I think it was on a reverse. I yeah, remember, I remember that. I was yeah. at that game. Twenty-seven yards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so good for him. An impressive uh, start there for him. But his senior year, two thousand nine, is when he uh, really came into his own. Um, and really, it was the game against uh, Texas Tech that season. He had seven receptions for 82 yards. Um, finished the year with 28 receptions for 424 yards and two touchdowns. Also had a couple tackles on the year, which you like to see. Mm-hmm. Um, but especially in an offense that kind of struggled passing the ball. Mm-hmm. That was the uh, Carson Coffin-Grant Gregory combo year uh, that made... It didn't exactly instill fear into defenses, uh, but Trail Snipes certainly one of the bright spots on that 2019. Um, anything other than the big, uh, you know, play that shocked Dan Hawkins or some of these other things? Anything stick out to you about a Trail you Snipes? You know, n- not really. That was the that was the big play uh, for me. Um, was his his, um, his his special teams. Uh, you know, he was just flying down there and, and as a gunner and just blew up uh, that Colorado wide res- or Colorado uh, punt returner. And I remember I was at that game. We were sitting kind of close to the Colorado – or we were sitting right behind the K-State bench pretty much. And those Colorado fans were letting him hear it uh, as, his, as he returned back to the bench. And he had kind of a wide-eyed look in his eye. And I remember pointing to him and saying, hey, way to go, man. You're, 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 you're doing a hell of a job out there. And, you know, he saw me. And, uh, you know, I like to think that I inspired him to, uh, to keep his head up and, and, and continue to make plays for Kansas State. Yeah, well, and, you know, he did a great job for Kansas State in his two years uh, playing for the Wildcats. And after he left, stayed in the area a little bit. Uh, actually uh, got on with the Salina Bombers. Okay. And had a nice little career with them. Uh, in fact, we, we all remember the... Um, uh, his 2014 season, where uh, he reeled in 46 passes for 777, <clears throat> excuse me, 46 passes for 770 yards and 16 touchdowns for the Bombers. Playmaker. So uh, pretty impressive uh, for Trail Snipes. Um, you know, it's it's that legacy that he has. Whether it's laying the hit when it needs to happen to send a message against Colorado in 2009. 2008. 2009. Oh, 2008. 2008. You're right. 2008. 2009 was the senior year. Or putting up huge numbers against Big 12 foes in 2009 and really just putting, striking fear into all Salina Bombers' opponents. Um, It's for those reasons that a Trail Snipes is this week's Wildcat Legend. And Icon, we are going to go ahead and get into our final segment on the show. All right, let's hear it. A segment that we here at the Short Side Option like to call Ask the Icon, where listeners of the Short Side Option podcast can ask the Short Side Option podcast very own Chris the Icon Sork whatever question they want, in really whatever fashion they want. Uh, we had some struggles earlier this year, but I think we've got we've all ironed the, those out. We've, we've got all the bugs worked out, and uh, so listeners, go ahead and ask us however you will, however you'd like. Um. And you can do that by tweeting them at us at the Short Side Option Podcast, which is at T-S-S-O underscore podcast, or by, of course, using the hashtag AskTheIcon, which we check religiously every week. So we're going to kick it right off here here, uh, with listener Luke at WheelerJ underscore Luke. Luke asks, 
Would you like to see Jacardia Wright on the field more than Harry Trotter in short yardage situations and when Deuce needs a breather? Limited sample size, but he showed some big-time intangibles last year. Well, I, I would like to see uh, Jacardia Wright get into the action a little bit more. Um, you know, he had kind of had a little bit of a tough time kind of breaking in the mix. I know he kind of had been nicked up and, and uh, wasn't quite ready uh, to get into uh, the games, but I think that he has a lot of upside and especially as a short yardage back. He, he's the biggest of K-State's backs uh, currently on the roster. And, you know, in a game, uh, you know, where I think, you know, maybe the availability of, of Deuce Vaughn's maybe potentially a little bit in question with him being a little bit banged up, uh, maybe you see a little bit more of him. So I certainly look uh, for Jakari Wright to maybe not this week, but, you know, as as we get later on in the season, uh, for him to, you know, maybe have an expanded role. Yeah, I I, I agree. I'd like to see more Jacardi Wright, but uh, well, see, you know, we saw more Keon Mosey mm-hmm. on Saturday, which was uh, nice to see. He had a few nice runs there. Absolutely, uh, put the ball on the ground once, but yeah, which I hated. Um, but you know, it is what it is. It's gonna happen. Uh, next question comes from listener Trim at Trim Goemo. Trim asks. We all learned last week that cats have been doing a great job in trying to put down the scourge of excess birds across the country. Do you know this? I saw this. Cats kill like a billion birds or something. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Well, you know, Not a billion, a- but cats kill something like 7 million birds every year. You know what's crazy? Or no, more than that. Maybe it is like a billion. You know, there are a lot of birds out there. Yeah. Who knew? I Way more birds than you'd think. But uh, cats are, are adept hunters. Number one killers of birds. And um, in my opinion, sufficient this last uh, this last week. So it, the cats did their job. No question about it. Well, you you answered the question already. Trim asks, last Saturday, how did our football cats live up to oh. the standards set by their namesake in the handling of the squawks? They, they made them proud. More of the same. More of the same. I mean, you, you, we should have all seen it coming. And, and, you know, of course, if you listen to the Short Side Option podcast, we, we called it, uh, you know... Right on the money. Now, I hate to uh, rub salt in the wound, but our, but our friend Brian Haney, a little bit off on his 12-11 prediction uh, for, for the K-State-KU game. Had the KU score pretty close. You know, he did. He, he didn't count for the big special plays team, the big special play team's plays, rather, and uh, didn't account for about, you know, six touchdowns or so at a K-State. But uh, other than that, pretty close. Yeah. Uh, next question comes from listener Mahomes2020 at KSU underscore funny 33. Mahomes asks, do you have an opinion on people decorating for Christmas and listening to Christmas music right after Halloween? No, not at all. You don't have an opinion? Oh, no, do I have an opinion? Well, I, I don't have a problem with it is what oh. I should say. I thought you were going to say no. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I, no, I, no, nothing. <laughs> No, I don't really have a strong opinion one way or the other, but I, you know, I, I love Christmas music. Uh, see, I, I don't like Christmas music. You hate Christmas music? I don't think there's, I don't think any of the songs are very good. Are you mad? No, I, I, there's this one song, um, it's by, uh, gosh, it's some like African drought relief, like relief song. It's from the eighties. It's, um, called, do they know it's Christmas? It's a good song. <laughs> it's, what kind of Christmas music are you listening to? I listen. I listen to a lot of it, and so when there's one that comes on that that I'm like, oh, actually, this song's kind of a bop. Uh, I make note of it, but most Christmas songs are just 
don't think they're very good. I mean, are you the Grinch? No, I'm, I'm not the Grinch. You have a little bit of a greener tint to your well, skin. Well, I'm I trying to eat a little better. I, okay, I have a little well, colicky. You know. Well, so to answer the question, I, I my opinion is that it's totally fine. I, I'm a big fan of Christmas music. Now, Christmas decorations, I think that's a little bit early to be putting up in November. But uh, in terms of if you want to, you know, throw on uh, the radio to a Christmas station or if you want to, you know, get your Christmas CDs or, you know, go on Spotify and listen to it, you're not going to get much of a fight from me. Next question comes from listener Ahern Alley at Ahern Alley. He asks, how many points will Kansas State's special teams create on Saturday? Well, that's a great question, and that's something we, we talked about. You know, K-State's been great on special teams the third, the third phase of the game. And, you know, really when I look at it, you can count on K-State whether or not it's a direct score. That remains to be seen. But setting up your your offense with a with a short field uh, to where they, they don't have to go 80 yards, where they, they can just maybe go 25, 30 yards off a big punt return, whatever the case might be. K-State's shown that ability all season. And at this point, unless the opposition is saying, we're going to straight up kick away, we're going to squib kick it on kick returns, we're going to take the special teams out of the game. Then, then that you have to maybe worry about some teams doing that. But also, when you do that, when you squib kick on, um, when you squib kick on kickoffs, and when you directionally punt and kick it out of bounds, you're opening up yourself to another can of worms. Where, yeah, you know, I'm angling this one to the sideline, and you know, it's not like NCAA football or, or Madden where you say, okay, I'm just going to boot it as far as I can, and I'm just going to angle it right towards the sideline. You're not going to always get a 45, 50 yard punt that just goes right out of bounds with no chance of return. You're gonna have a couple of shanks where it might only go 20 yards or 15 yards, and, and it, it goes off the side of the kicker or the side of the punter's foot, and you gift a team a short field, and that's just because of the throw of the special teams. Same thing with the squib kick. You know, an up man gets the ball, and if you're starting every possession at the 35 or 40 yard line, that's 15, 20 extra yards that you're getting due to just the threat of your special team. So even though the special teams, it might not be Phillip Brooks or you know. Um, Malik Knowles or whoever's back there returning punts, Keon Mosey, whatever the kick or punts and kicks, their impact is still felt uh, throughout other through that kind of that threat just because of of what uh, they can do and what they've shown to be able to do. And also, by the way, how about Byron Pringle the other day for the Chiefs? Yeah, special teams, you man. Yeah, no absolutely. question about it. It's uh, you know they to your point about kicking it out of bounds that and, and swimming and that sort of thing. It, that's what they call hidden yards, where mm-hmm. it's, you know, over the course of a game, if you're conceding 15 yards every kickoff, that, that can really add up. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And our final question uh, comes from listener Tyler H at TH8 underscore. Tyler says, uh, given the sad events and circumstances surrounding the team today, do you think we'll be able to stay focused and get a W? And of course, Tyler's referencing the unfortunate news regarding Derek Newton and the circumstances are, uh, surrounding his death, uh, Todd brings up a good point. Uh, how does, when, when something is traumatic and chaotic is, is what happened uh, today, the news broke today of Derek, Newton, Derek Newton's passing, uh, Chris Kleiman has his hands full in terms of keeping the team grounded and focused, and, and how do you think that uh, K-State 
football team will respond. Well, certainly a, a tragic turn of events. Uh, Derek Newton was a, was a guy that had originally joined K-State, I believe back in the 2018 recruiting class, uh, then since transferred uh, to junior college um, uh, at Butler Community College before rejoining uh, K-State in this last recruiting class and had, had gotten into some action earlier this season. You know, I, I can't imagine what, uh, you know, his friends and his family, uh, of course, uh, with the K-State football program and, and just his family, you know, outside the program has has been going through these last 24 uh, hours or so. Uh, so our, our, our hearts and our thoughts and prayers are with uh, – with him and his, with him and his family, and and uh, you know it's it's a terrible situation to to say the least. But to answer his question, you know I think with what K State has done with with Chris Kleiman here and his, his short tenure at K State, you have the feeling that he's well equipped to handle really kind of anything. He's shown that he's been really a player's first coach. Um, you know, being a guy that's been very supportive of his players and um, and being there for him. So that's certainly going to be tested maybe like it's never been tested before uh, in preparation for not only this game but for the rest of the season. But uh, I know that uh, that K-State, uh, that, that everyone inside the near and, and inside that football team um, is, is going to be playing with a heavy arm on Saturday. No question about it. Yeah, hard to bounce back after uh, something is just a – Sad situation. Yeah. Um, and so, with respect to the game on Saturday, you hope that everybody can do their best to stay focused and uh, try to go out and have a successful day. But, uh, like I said, Kleiman certainly has his work cut out for him, trying to keep Yeah, definitely uh, some bigger things, probably week. on some folks' minds. Uh, but it'll be definitely a kind of a theme here throughout the rest of the season. You know, we haven't heard too much uh, from the players, too much uh, from the coaching staff here. As It's been pretty, uh, you know, it's kind of breaking news as far as that goes here in the last 24 hours. So something we'll keep our eye on for sure, but uh, definitely uh, thoughts and prayers with, uh, with, with Derek Noon's family and, and his friends. No question about it. Absolutely. Well, that wraps up the uh, Ask the Icon segment of the short side option. Uh, Icon, any parting thoughts? You know, this is a big game. No question about it. We've mentioned that. I, I mentioned earlier that this is a, a game that I quite frankly felt going into the season was a swing game. You know, is K-State going to be somewhere – if this is a team that's going to be probably a 6-6, six and six, you know, 7-5 and five type team early on in the season now, then of course the games have been, uh, you know, reshuffled now to where it's only a 10-game season. Is this a 6-4 and four team, a 5-5 five and five team? Or – you know, with a couple wins like this, you know, I thought the Texas Tech game was another swing game early on. Uh, obviously, we didn't count on beating Oklahoma. But uh, with these TCU games, and, or the TCU and Texas Tech game going w- with the way of the Wildcats, this is another game that's kind of right there. Uh, on the road against a team that, uh, you know, has had our number as of late. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not betting against K-State. They find ways to win these games. And, you know, I, I'm expecting that they are, are going to be very competitive on Saturday, and it's going to—I I see it coming down to the wire again. Absolutely. Were you surprised at all at the line at West Virginia being favored at uh, you know, what are they two and three? Uh, they're they're a three and two football and two. team, but you know, not really. I, I don't think the computers love K State. They, I think that's and a that's big where the, and why. that's where these yeah. these numbers are, are generated from uh, in terms of the betting spread. But you know. West Virginia is a capable team. Um, I know that you look at some of their games against KU where they weren't sharp. 
but they, they were able to, you know, take care of business in that game. And, and uh, you know, I, I just don't really feel that this West Virginia team has probably lived up to kind of what they feel like they can be. But quite frankly, I think K-State is really kind of rounding into form here a little bit too. So it's going to be an interesting matchup. Two teams that are, are, are I think, pretty equal talent-wise. Would you agree? Uh, yeah, more. Well, especially with Skylar Thompson out, yeah. And, you know, this is a game with a, with a true freshman quarterback going on the road. This is the game that's going to be closest to, uh, to uh, Will Howard's old stopping grounds up there in, in PA. So uh, I, I had read that he is expecting, uh, you know, several family members to be there in attendance. I thought you were going to say several thousand family <laughs> It's actually going to be a third of, of the crowd is going to be Will Howard's family, family and friends. Yeah. But uh, a little bit of a homecoming for Will Howard. Uh, probably his toughest test to date. Um, in terms of going up against a quality defense. And, you know, K-State's going to have to find ways to make it easy on them. And I think the biggest key for K-State is going to be, can they get something going with the run game? As I mentioned, West Virginia, when they give up a 100-yard uh, rushing performance to a, to an opposing team, 0-2 on the season, when they hold opponents to under 100 yards rushing or less, 3-0. Yeah, well, and it's another chance for Chris Kleiman to go out there and uh, get another win over one of his peers. Uh, you know, we look back at that. Yeah, you know, when we look back at that coaching search, Neil Brown was the guy that was that was heavily thought of as a, a potential replacement for Bill Snyder. And uh, you look at it, and you know, Neil Brown got the best of him last year. But I, I know, I don't think Kleiman probably cares much about. You know, no, I'm sure he doesn't. Thing. But but those it, those four guys are going to always kind of be linked together. Sure. Um, and so. Uh, it's, At least in K-State fans' minds, I mean, for sure. Absolutely. But I think, among, you know, throughout the conference, too, you you look at those, you know, whenever the half the conference almost sure. uh, switches over coaches, you, once you get start getting a year, two years, three years down the road, you start looking at, okay, which one of these hires was, was successful and which one wasn't. Um, and right now, I think Kleiman's probably the one coming oh, out no smelling like roses. No question. Uh and I saw it, something today that where he's getting a little bit of pub for uh, Big 12 and National Coach of the Year, even. Yeah, well, he's going to have to keep winning. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, early in the season, but, still, but. Uh, yeah, so far, just especially bouncing out, bouncing back after that uh, Arkansas State game. And, and then, what a coach and then lose, and then losing your starting quarterback. Absolutely. Uh, you know, just shortly thereafter. So, lots of like. Uh, but a lot of questions uh, that we hope to have an answer for on Saturday. So it'll be a lot of fun to watch. Eleven o'clock kickoff. Uh, ESPN two. Who's on the call? Um, Roy Philpot, Kelly Stouffer. Oh, they do. A they great they job. do a really nice job there for ESPN. So K State fans will will be you know enjoying that call, I'm sure. And we're we're calling for a K State win. So we will see how that all shakes out. Dilo, anything you want to add before we wrap? No. Okay. Well, that'll do it here for us here on the Short Side Option Podcast. Next week, we'll be back to uh, to preview what's going to be a big game, uh, depending, no matter what happens this week between Oklahoma State and K-State. Uh, game time, kickoff time for that one's still a little bit unclear. Uh, we'll, we'll have that, of course, for you um, here at the early part of next week, uh, as that's kind of in, in the waiting window still. So we will see what happens there. But uh, big-time game coming up for K-State as, as they continue to try to uh, make the run toward Arlington and, and get uh, eligible for a Big 12 title appearance, which would be a great, great way for this season to pay off. And who knows what's after that. Yeah, just get there, and uh, it's a success. Absolutely. Well, that'll do it here for us on the Short Side Option Podcast. As always, thank you for listening, and go Cats!